This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Hey there. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Patrick Fingston. Welcome to our weekly live stream and podcast uh, for the Illinois.com, our political newsletter. I uh, appreciate all of you uh, taking some time to join us here on uh, this uh, Wednesday uh, in uh, December. It's a uh, it's a time where everybody's busy and yet trying to check out at the same time. So I uh, appreciate you taking a few minutes to join us this afternoon. We uh, will talk a little bit uh, initially here this afternoon about the proposed assault weapons ban in the state and uh, what's uh, what to expect, uh, what's in the bill, uh, and uh, talk a little bit about kind of some of the, the political realities of it as, as it uh, as it is on its way to passage in early January uh, in the in the legislature. We'll also talk to Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune uh, about the expectations of uh, Pritzker II. Uh, what will we see in the second Pritzker administration? They haven't really said a lot. Uh, the governor hasn't really said a lot, hasn't laid out a huge agenda at this point. Uh, and I assume that they're awaiting the inauguration for some of those and and, and we'll see. Uh, and of course, how does the governor's potential 2024 aspirations play into all of that? So we'll talk to Dan Petrella about that here in just a few minutes. And we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap up later on uh, with uh, some words about Scott Bennett, the state senator from uh, Champaign, who who passed away last Friday uh, at the age of 45 uh, from essentially what was an undiagnosed brain tumor uh, that, that caused uh, uh, a, a stroke or, or, or something of the uh, something similar that uh, of course um, led to uh, led to uh, his loss and uh, it's a it's a it's a sad one it's uh, it's shocking especially for those that know him you know I don't I don't claim to be, you know, his best pal or anything, but, you know, I've known him for a long time. I've known him for years. Most of you know, I'm a, I spent a lot of years in Champaign, uh, and, and, you know, have, have known Scott for, for a long time. So we'll, um, we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, here, uh, coming up as well. But, uh, first I wanted to start with the, uh, proposed assault weapons ban, uh, and, um, the, let me find the right screen. There it is. So I wanted to share um, some of the th things that are actually in this. Uh, oops, I hit the wrong button. Um, there we go. There we go. So um, you'll have to bear with me. I'm a, I'm a, technological luddite sometimes but uh so so the the house uh judiciary criminal committee uh had its first hearing on the proposed assault weapons ban in um uh that, that's been 
kind of a response to uh, the the mass shooting in Highland Park on the Fourth of July that killed seven and and injured dozens more. Where a um, uh, and I, I've made a I've made a point not to mention the the defendant's name, the perpetrator's name, because I I don't think that they deserve any sort of celebrity uh, for for these sort of actions. Uh, but he he should not have had a FOID card and was still able to um, purchase uh, a Smith & Wesson M&P military and police um, 15, uh, which is a, a rifle, a uh, semi-automatic rifle uh, that uh, is, you know, in the, the vein of an AR-15. Um, the, the list that is in this bill uh, from Bob Morgan, uh, the, the state representative from, from Deerfield who, uh, who represents uh, Highland Park, uh, is, is very wide-ranging. You can see you know, in our, our list here that, that we put in the newsletter the other day that it is uh, essentially a, a wide net, and there's the, the weapon that was perpetrated in, um, in Highland Park the the smith and wesson m&p 15 uh everything from from mossberg assault shotguns to to ruger folding stocks to uh you know to your old school uzi carbines um it's a wide-ranging blanket build that will ban many many weapons uh that uh you know, would no longer be available for purchase in the state. The current weapons would be grandfathered in, but would require a registration, which is, uh, of course, concerning to 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 many gun owners. Uh, obviously, outside of the ban as well, uh, and and it would also uh, ban the uh, possession of magazines greater than ten rounds which is even in handguns, which there are many, many, many handguns. The most popular handgun in the country is the the Glock 19. It comes with a standard 17 round magazine. So out of the box, people who, who buy a legal handgun today would be illegal or would possess uh, an illegal magazine under the law or under what would be the new law. Um, And, and then of course it would also, uh, make it a, a far more difficult uh, it would make it a far more difficult uh, threshold to get a void card if you're under 21. Um, essentially you'd have to be uh, military or national guard uh, to, to have a void card if you are under the age of 21. I, I've 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 been, you know, I, and not to get too deep into my politics on this, but I grew up in a farm on a farm and, you know, it's a, it's a different world than, than a lot of suburbanites may, may run into, you know, I mean, we, you would walk in the door and we had a closet right by the door that had a couple of rifles and a couple of shotguns that was part of, you know, a, a a part of the way of life that, that, you know, either you had to grab a 22 to take out some varmint or, you know, the 
whatever situation there might be. And, and it was just an accepted part of, of life. Um, but there are, there's also the logical part of this of who needs an AR-15? You know, is it a home defense weapon? Sure. But is is the are those rounds of five five six going to be that more effective than a nine millimeter handgun in, in protecting in the rare instance that that someone is breaking into your home or coming after you? I I, I don't know the the answer to that, but um, and I think one of the things that's being completely forgotten here, and maybe it's not being forgotten. Maybe it's just that the the left, you know, or the, the gun supporter or gun control supporters in this don't care about this is that the, the majority of gun crimes that are committed in this state, uh, whether it's, it's handguns on the weekend in Chicago or, or this instance in, in Highland park or Aurora or you name it. Um, these are crimes that are being committed by people who were already or should have already been illegal gun owners. And, and that's, you know, that's something that, that is not, you know, not being discussed, I believe enough in this, that, that for the actions of one bad dude in Highland park, do the rest of gun owners in the state, should they be criminalized for it? Um, and it gets you into the second amendment discussion here, which, which I think is, is way above my pay grade, but I think, you know, gun rights supporters, uh, will tell you that, that they believe that the, the law and the, the courts have been pretty clear that, uh, that you can't, you can't limit people's rights to own a firearm. Um, you know, and whether you, you want to call it a, a modern weapon of war or, or, or whatever terminology you might want to use, you know, the, the, the frame of reference that a, a gun supporter will give you is the first amendment that, that the way the, the constitution was written, it, it, it impacted the quill and the town crier and, and still today impacts the internet and TV and radio and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that the government can't shut down your your speech, um, you know, whether it's uh, laid out directly in the Constitution or not, uh, as as you know, as written in the late 1700s. So uh, it's it's a it's a it's a tough call, especially when you try and balance public safety with with the rights of people who are doing nothing wrong. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. And it's this, I mean, I think we need to be clear about the, the realities that are going to, uh, the political realities that are taking place here. This, this law, this bill will pass, uh, because they're doing it after January 1st. Uh, it does not require uh, a supermajority in the house or Senate. So, uh, 
they will be able to get 260 in the House and 30 in the Senate without much problem. Uh, and the governor's already indicated he supports it. He's going to sign it. Uh, so it's it's going to be on, you know, it's going, it's going to be law. The minute the governor signs that legislation, uh, I would expect that, um, you know, the the minute that legislation is is signed, I would expect the lawsuit to be filed. And, you know, the the courts will then take it up. Uh, so so this this isn't going to be over tomorrow. Uh, we're in early January. Uh, but but it is worth, I think, at least discussing the fact that this isn't uh, a cut and dried issue on either side. And, and you know, I think the, the liberal suburbanites are going to tell you that that we have to save every single life. And uh, it's 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 going, you know, it's, um, you know. You can't legislate bad people out of the world, which I think is a, um, which I, I, th- I think is a, a really frustrating part of this, that, that, you know, if we could legislate bad people out of the world, we'd legislate most of the politicians out of the world too. But, but, but I think we also need to be abundantly clear that, that do we need weapons like this that can be abused, that can be used to kill 20 children at Sandy Hook 10 years ago that can shoot off 85 rounds in 60 seconds in Highland Park. Do, do we need those sort of weapons in society? And I, I don't, I don't know the answer. And I'm not the, I'm not the guy that that's, that's here to, to give you a moral uh, story on both of these, but, but I think, I think we should all take a minute to, to maybe see both sides here because, you know, whether you're a, a pro gun gun owner kind of person or an anti-gun, you know, pro gun control sort of person, I think, I think we all need to, to kind of take a step back and say, Hey, there are two sides to this story. And, and I hope that, you know, and we're not going to see that in this bill. I mean, Republicans are not at the table. The, the, you know, there, there are no moderate, pro-gun Democrats left in Springfield, seemingly, uh, you know, the, the days of John Bradley and Brandon Phelps and John Sullivan are gone. Um, and, and, you know, gun groups are not at the table, you know, they're not, Democrats don't want them to try and, you know, be a part of this discussion at all. So this is a, this is a one-sided debate. Um, would it, would it, get us anywhere if both sides are at the table probably not because everybody's pretty well dug in uh but but yes this is going to pass it's going to pass clearly in early january it will be signed by the governor shortly thereafter and then uh we're going to be in the courts for for a long time after that uh there will be another hearing uh i think it's scheduled for tomorrow or uh friday i don't have it exactly in front of me um and we'll see if the the Democrats are going to give the other side an opportunity to uh, to testify on this too, because the first hearing earlier this week was uh, was completely one sided, um, and no matter how many people had slipped in or or had uh, put their you know their opposition to the bill, Republicans hardly said a thing. Uh, it was um, 
you know, we'll see what kind of a, a debate this turns into because it, it looks like the deck is pretty, uh, pretty well stacked at this point uh, as we, as we move toward uh, veto session or uh, lame duck session in, in early January. We turn now to the second iteration of the JB Pritzker administration, which will kick off in early January uh, after he uh, won re-election in November and uh, will be sworn into a second term in, in early January. What do we expect? Uh, he, he hasn't said a lot. He hasn't uh, done a lot. He hasn't laid out a lot of framework for what to expect in uh, in that second term. So we brought in a guy that knows better than really pretty much anyone else in the state uh, that covers uh, J.B. Pritzker, Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, Dan, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. It's it's December 14th. Uh, the governor gets inaugurated in, in less than a month. What do we expect from Pritzker too? You know, it's it's been interesting, and I touched on this a little bit um, during the campaign that when he was running for his second term, it was a very a very backward looking campaign as opposed to a a forward looking campaign about what his second term agenda was going to be, and um, that sort of continued. He really has not laid out a, a comprehensive sort of agenda for the second term. Um, you know, I think there are the immediate at hand issues that they're going to try and deal with either in the um, lame duck session, sort of right around the January 9th gubernatorial inauguration. Um, of uh, taking up an assault weapon ban, which the House Democrats have been pushing hard for over the last few weeks, um, doing some things related to abortion and trying to um, expand protections for providers and, and patients coming from other states, things along those lines. Um, but in terms of an overarching sort of vision for, for the next four years, um, he has yet to really lay that out. Um, you know, most of what he said has been, it's sort of this like, caretaker mentality where they've gotten the budget in fairly good shape with the help of, um, you know, a strong economy, lots of, um, you know, federal stimulus that went to people talking about the, the you know, checks we all got a, a couple of years ago that helped stimulate the economy and keep things going during COVID, um, you know, trying to continue to, to balance the budget as best as possible, um, but not laying out sort of the, um, the think big sort of items that he was laying out going into his his first term. Um, one of the few really tangible goals that he's put out there is making um, college free in Illinois for anybody who earns at or below the median income. Um, and he's also talked about raising the threshold for um, child care subsidies for folks to about 300% of the federal poverty level, which is like $83,000 a year for um for a family of four. But he hasn't talked about those things in, in months. I mean, really since he kicked off his campaign. No, no. And I mean, those were sort of things that came up if you asked him specifically like, okay, what's your agenda for term two? What do you, what do you want to do in the next four years? Um, you know, I think part of what we're going to see is a lot of sort of uh, this being the implementation term. There were a lot of big things that they did do in, in his first term, particularly in the first year, they're still, um, still working their way through, you know, we've seen all sorts of issues with um, the marijuana legalization getting off the ground, you know, they just cut the ribbon recently on the first couple um, applicants through the, uh, the social equity program that's supposed to diversify that industry. Um, the big energy overhaul is really still just getting off the ground. There's going to be a lot of um, looking to see there if they're actually meeting those goals. Um, you know, cash bail is about to end in, in a couple, uh, two, three weeks here. 
um, you know, working through how that works and what, what potential problems arise there is going to be another big issue. Um, but really, yeah, I, you know, I'm wondering if, if they're sort of holding it close to the vest for their inauguration speech, if he's going to come out and lay out a big um, sweeping agenda, or if he really is looking at the second term more as a, um, you know, a steady hand at the wheel to continue guiding the state sort of in the direction it's going now. I'll get back to that point in a second, but you did mention the assault weapon ban. Um, I, I, I made an argument in the, the newsletter the other day that this is essentially the die is cast. You know, they, they only need a, a minimum uh, simple majority in the House and Senate. The governor supports it. Uh, this is going to happen. It's going to wind up in court. So clearly that's that's not something that the governor's really going to have to twist a lot of arms on. But um, is is that something he's working on behind the scenes or has this just been a, a straight up House bill that he's just saying, yes, I agree with? You know, I think there is some behind the scenes um, stuff going on. I think everybody knows where he stands on the issue. He's That's one of the things that he's made very public. Um, it was interesting to see that this group that launched in support of, of the House bill, um, which is called the Protect Illinois Communities Act, the group is headed by a political operative named Becky Carroll, who is a, a close ally of the governor. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm not sure about any direct involvement of the governor. Um, although I did see one of his former campaign staffers at um, at a press conference earlier in the week um, uh, that Representative Bob Morgan, who's sponsoring that bill, was was holding prior to the a hearing on Monday on the proposal. So um, definitely, I think people know where where the governor is on this issue. My big question there is where the Senate is, um, because we saw when they um, passed Floyd legislation last year that the Senate kind of um, you know, from the perspective of, of gun safety advocates, weakened what the House had sent them, got rid of the mandatory fingerprinting provision and made it a, an optional fingerprinting provision for, for FOID card applicants. So I'm, I'm interested to see what that dynamic is there, whether the Senate has its own ideas. Well, I mean, if you think about it, the Senate has, has lost a couple of the more moderate members now in the last uh, a few months with with Rochelle Crow, who who went to become U.S. Attorney, and then of course the death of Scott Bennett. Uh, those were kind of the two main moderate voices in in Senate Democrats. So, uh, but again, you know, they only need the minimum. So, so you know, it's it's not necessarily hard to put together thirty votes. You would you would think if you you look at that caucus. But uh, you you mentioned kind of the the approach that the governor might take in uh, in this the second term. You know, he has, I think it's safe to say he has benefited from both both the federal bailout dollars and the uh, better than expected economic uh, results from the state, better tax dollars than, than were anticipated. The, the COGFA has already bumped up revenue estimates a couple of times already for the current fiscal year. How does he approach what they want to do next. Uh, you know, there, there, there seems to be this little bit of a dividing line in, in Democrats in Springfield where there are the, some of them maybe more fiscally moderate Democrats that say we need to uh, focus on, on keeping the state uh, in a positive direction, you know, trying to reverse the trends of, of the, the Quinn, Rauner, Blagojevich years. And, and then there are the others that say we want to spend money on everything that we can possibly spend money on ever. Um, 
how does he balance that, especially as a guy who is very progressive and does want to do a lot of things, but is also trying to champion those fiscal things? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's interesting because you do think of him, you know, especially during campaign season, you know, taking pretty progressive stances and all throughout his, his tenure, really, on, on a number of issues. But when it comes to the state's finances, um, he has been a little, I don't know if I would say conservative, but um, careful, maybe, um, you know, they're, they're Revenue estimates tend to be on the conservative side. Um, it's been a, a regular occurrence for a variety of factors, which you mentioned, that um, revenues have come in ahead of where they've estimated, which is, um, you know, anyone who's been observing the Illinois budget for any number of years will know not a usual <laughs> occurrence. Um, and and this is probably insidery, but COGFA is more progressive or liberal in its budget projections than the governor's own staff over you know so so the independent group is more uh you know expecting more revenue than even gambi is yeah yeah and you know that's the approach they've taken um alexis term in the in the governor's office of management and budget and deputy governor andy minar i think both will take that sort of approach um you know it's going to be interesting to see he's he's sort of floated this uh, nebulous idea of you know the way we can give people permanent tax relief is by continuing to balance the budget but at the same time, you know, he's got um, education advocates, his own state board of education saying we need to spend a lot more money than we're spending on on K-12 education now to actually meet the goals that we set out when we redid the education funding formula, um, you know, to the tune by some people's accounting of almost a billion dollars a year. Um, and that's just not stuff that can be done within the in the current constraints of of the state revenue. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see, you know, um, whether they try to do more than that $350 million a year target minimum, some people call it. And if so, how they can get that done. Um, one of the other things that he hasn't really done much on at all is property taxes, which is a huge issue for people all over the state. And, um, you know, anytime you ask the governor about it, he points to um, the police and fire pension consolidation that they got done a few years ago which, you know, people had been trying to do for a long time. Um, it was it was pretty remarkable that they did get it done. But, um, you know, the savings from that so far, I think, are pretty much hypothetical. I've yet to see any, any community say we're able to lower property taxes or hold the line on property taxes because of this pension consolidation. Well, and to, and to be, you know, realistic about reducing property tax burdens, of course, you know, we know this. People on the inside know that you know the state doesn't have a, a property tax, but but obviously the state funds schools, and schools are the biggest part of property tax bills. It would take a hell of a lot more money for the state to uh, give K twelve education enough money to offset serious cuts in property taxes. That money doesn't exist, so I think that leads to the question of: Do we see some sort of effort again for? A graduated income tax? Do we see some sort of uh, push again for some sort of tax increase? What, how do, because if you're going to offset the property tax dollars over here, they've got to come from somewhere. And, and clearly K-12 education, it, its main sources are property taxes and, and state funding. So it's one or the other, right? Yeah. And he's pretty much ruled out the idea of going for the graduated income tax again. Um, you know, he was asked about that, I, I think, during a couple of the, the debates during campaign season and said, no, that's not, not that's not on the agenda. Um, you know, the tune may change down the line if, you know, the economy really starts um, 
slowing down and and those revenues start dipping below projections and we get into into tough times again but um yeah we haven't seen sort of a a jim edgar or or don clark Netch style proposal to um you know swap the property tax burden for a higher income tax burden you know revisiting the mike madigan millionaire tax idea from a few years back um so yeah i mean it's it's hard to see where they'll make significant progress on that without sort of doing some drastic changes to the way we collect taxes in the state. So uh, let's, I think, I think a lot of the governor's future, I think revolves around discussion about running for president. Uh, You know, whether he's trying to poo poo it and, and saying, you know, I'm, I'm out until Joe Biden says something essentially, uh, you know, the the idea is out there the discussion is out there um what what sort of moves do we expect from uh a, a pritzker team relating to a potential presidential run do we see his his chief of staff Gant caprera who's a who's a dc creature uh do we see some of those those other um close associates maybe branch off into a pack or an outside group or a 501c3 what what are we expecting in terms of what kind of groundwork the governor may be laying for 2024, whether or not he's saying anything about it now? Yeah, um, you know, at this point, I'm not anticipating any sort of major staff exodus or anything like that. Um, I think after the Georgia runoff in which uh, his former um, deputy campaign manager, who then went on to manage the uh, failed graduated income tax campaign, um, managed Raphael Warnock's successful re-election campaign down in Georgia, people are kind of watching to see what he's going to do. Um, is he somebody who the, who the governor may look to um, if he is seriously considering a, a presidential bid? Um, you know, I think things may become more clear early next year. Um, the president had indicated that sort of after the holidays would probably be the time where he would um, make a formal decision or announcement. Um, you know, and I, I would be be highly surprised if um, if Pritzker got into a primary against a sitting president. It's just not his not his style, um, and something you know would be well. And and he's ruled that out yeah, essentially, right? Yeah, a major backtrack on on something that he's said repeatedly publicly. So um, it would take some, I think, drastic change of events for for something like that to happen. Um, but I think it will be it will be interesting to see sort of yeah, are there new packs that are created? You know, I think Illinois losing out on the um, the early primary um, contest with that going to, it looks like South Carolina is going to get to the head of the line for the Democrats. Um, it's sort of a, a loss for Pritzker, you know, hoping to, to if he did run, to, you know, have that early advantage. Um, I just think, yeah, I think it's, it's everybody's kind of waiting to see um, what Joe Biden is going to do. Um, and I, But I think people you know, viewed it as he was laying groundwork with his trips to New Hampshire and Florida and, and Maine and other places and some of the um, contributions he was making to to candidates around the country during this last election cycle. I'll let you go on this, Dan. I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago um, saying that, that the governor's new administration, his second term, would be best served by a move to the center. Uh, it would It would be a little more unifying. It would be uh, a way to maybe bridge some of the divide and the the anger that has come from the 
uh, the the COVID restrictions and and all of the the anger that you've seen downstate. Is there any indication from him? I mean, we're talking about a progressive guy. Is there any indication from him that w- we would see a governing strategy, even a public, even a public perception strategy that would maybe move more toward the middle in round two? You know, he talked when he launched his reelection campaign about about focusing on kitchen table issues. Um, so that may be sort of an indication of of that sort of thing. Although that could have just been you know campaign campaign posturing. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see given the fact that you've got um, a historic number of Democrats in the House now and still a, a very high number of Democrats in the Senate. Um, you know, there's not going to be a, a um, huge incentive to have to work across the aisle. Um, you know, he's he points to the fact that he did many bipartisan things in his first year, which is true. There were Republican votes on, on um, with the exception of um, the Reproductive Health Act, most of the major um, legislative accomplishments of his first year. Um, but, you know, I think I think Democrats kind of um, are somewhat emboldened by the outcome in November. And it'll be interesting to see um, sort of how the new Republican leaders position their caucuses, whether they also, um, you know, tackle a little bit more toward the center um, or, you know, if um, they get pulled pulled to the right by members of their own caucuses. And that's probably another discussion for another time. So uh, Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune. Dan, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. And uh, happy holidays to you and yours. You as well. Thanks, Patrick. All right. Thanks to Dan Petrella for taking a few minutes with us uh, today uh, to talk about the governor and uh, what we may expect from his second term, which is uh, the... uh, which is a little unclear at this point. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on, uh, on, on what, what Pritzker two uh, will, will have uh, in, in, in the future for us uh, as we, uh, we approach his inauguration in, in early January. And uh, before we wrap up this afternoon, I just, I wanted to take a couple of minutes um, just on, on the passing of, of Senator Scott Bennett, uh, from from Champaign, uh, who you know is a uh, it was a shock to to many of us um, that uh, you know he was hospitalized Thursday. Um, we had heard that it was bad, it was serious, um, and uh, and uh, of course we we all got the news that he passed away on on Friday. Um, the outpouring of support. Um, for for him was uh not something you you get uh on a on on a daily basis uh it was very bipartisan uh it was very um earnest from uh from people who knew him and people who worked with him and uh it was um uh it was a tribute to a politician who, who wasn't your typical politician. He was a, a, a truly good dude. And, uh, there aren't a lot of those sometimes in Springfield. So, uh, it's, it's shocking and sad. And, uh, I I haven't been able to stop thinking about his two kids, the nine-year-old twins. Um, and, and, you know, every time we talked, you know, the conversation eventually 
led to a discussion about his kids. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the kind of guy he was. That's the, that's where his priorities were. Uh, you know, he, he was, um, you know, a, a guy that had respect on, on both sides of the aisle and had a great family and great friends and loved his life. And uh, it's, it's sad that it has uh, ended so soon. So uh, we've, we've posted in the newsletter the last few days. You can go back and look it up. Uh, the, there's a, a fundraiser for, for his wife and kids uh, that, that's, that's underway. Uh, folks have already raised more than, I think, $30,000 uh, for them. And there will be a public memorial for him uh, Monday morning uh, in Urbana, uh, where, where I think um, you'll see quite a few folks um, uh, eulogize and and share memories of senator bennett uh and of course our prayers and our thoughts are are with uh stacy and the kids and and their family uh in this incredibly incredibly difficult time uh thanks so much for taking time to join us this uh this afternoon uh let us know uh drop us a note if you ever uh, have any uh thoughts or questions or or topics you want to discuss uh Follow me on, on the Twitter machine and, and uh, follow us on the Illinois on Facebook and on, on Twitter. And uh, we'd love to uh, uh, continue having a conversation with you. You can always subscribe to our newsletter uh, at the We put stuff out every day and uh, we'd love to have you uh, join us there uh, too. So thanks so much. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon here on the Illinois.